Let's take our Bibles. We're going to go to lesson 60 in the book of Revelation. And, you know, the reason why we're doing this is not just to, you know, to say everything that can be said. It's impossible to say everything that can be said or should be said about the Scripture. But what we are doing is uh, we, are, we are taking some side detours occasionally to dig further down into topics that would make more sense uh, because we're going through it. And so that's the reason why today we won't make, I'll just tell you right now, we won't make any progress in Revelation 15. We're going to take a side detour and look at the tabernacle. And it will come into play when we get back in a couple weeks, back to our study. Uh, Brother Grady will be here next week, but it'll make more sense. And it's absolutely essential to have this knowledge of tonight as you go into it. And so uh, if you're like me, sometimes I just want to burn through stuff. I just want to, when I go to Walmart, I don't want to be there. I want to be leaving Walmart. And when I go to the mall, I want to be leaving the mall. I just want to burn through it. And uh, I know some of you really enjoy, you know, the festive shopping time with people pushing and shoving and screaming at one another, but not, not me. However, when it comes to the Word of God, if you get this in your head, you'll never know it all. So take in what you can take in as much as you can and relax. Relax. It's not a race to see who can know the most Bible. Um, We're in a race and we want to know the Lord more, but the focus is on the Lord, not in beating other Christians. And so as we go into it, um, it, sometimes we need to, uh, to slow down and take in a little bit more. So let's look at Revelation 15. But we will read uh, verses 5 to 8 just to get the context and understand where we are. Chapter 15 of Revelation, verse 5. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So we looked at the unveiling of the great and marvelous sign in heaven. That was the first part, chapter 15, 1 to 4. Now we're looking and have been looking for several weeks at the, uh, the un, I'm sorry, we continue with that. We finished that the last several weeks. Now we actually enter into the last part of chapter 15, the opening of the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. Now you say that sounds like a great name for a church down south. Well, it could be. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, Baptist church. What do you think? Somebody said the first independent, fundamental, premillennial, Baptocostal church of the great Redeemer's love of Xylem Springs. And, and I've seen some amazing, I saw one of Syrian church, you know, crazy stuff. But uh, that's, that's not what he's talking about. Well, I want you to see three purposes of the tabernacle tonight. The first purpose, and we're going to go through, we got a lot to hit. So we're going to talk about it right off the bat. First purpose is to be the place where we meet with God. Now we understand Genesis, uh, God created man in his image and likeness, and the purpose was to have fellowship with them. He would walk with them in the cool of the day. God is love. There's two things it says that God is. God is love and God is light. And uh, God is love. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, the cool of the day. 
But man chose to sin, and because of that, God had to separate from him. And remember, the seeking God is always coming after man. He was the one that came into the garden and said, Adam, where art thou? And so because of that sin, we ended up in bondage. And we are in this bondage to a godless taskmaster named Satan, a taskmaster. But because God is love, he couldn't stop being who he is, and he still loved us. And even though we were separated from him, even though we were in bondage to sin, he desired to deliver us out of bondage, out of the control of Satan. The Bible says we are taken captive by him at his will in 2 Timothy. And, and so God had a desire to deliver us. And so in the fullness of time, God decided he would visit this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, he, his goal was to deliver us out of bondage. He said that uh, right there in, in the synagogue when he first started. But the problem is we were in bondage, and, and that's way that from this time in Genesis all the way to the coming of Christ is millennia. And so we find that Genesis ends with Joseph in a coffin in Egypt. And Egypt, of course, is a type of sin, it's a type of the world. And again, it's a picture of the human race. Uh, God's people are here in Egypt now in the book of Exodus. They're in a bondage to a godless slave taskmaster named Pharaoh. And of course, we see the unfolding of what God does throughout the book of Exodus and so forth. What God was going to do is come, but before he came, he was going to teach his people to start with. It was going to be his people that he was going to teach how to interact with him. And and he was going to prepare the world for his coming. And one of the first things that he did to prepare the world was to have Moses build something. And what did he build? He built the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was what, how God intended to show what he, how he wanted people to interact with him. And so that's what you have in your notes. You have a picture. We'll show it on the screen here in just a minute. Now, we know where God lives. Where does God live? In the third heaven, right? But Moses was supposed to build this dwelling place on the earth. And so it was going to be a special dwelling place. Now, we, we look at the things and the, the elements that were used, and they were, they were precious metals that were involved and nice things that were dyed different colors and so forth. But basically, it was a tent. It was not a permanent uh, dwelling place, a house, uh, even though it was called a house here and there. But it was, it, it, it's a, it was a temporary portable thing. And in fact... Uh, God intended to move through his people and use this not as a, 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 an end point, but as a starting point. And so we find, let's take our Bibles to Exodus chapter 25, and let's look at the first mention of tabernacle. First mention of tabernacle in the Bible, Exodus 25. Let's see what the purpose is. Look at verse number 8, Exodus 25, 8. This is the second verse, uh, second book in the Bible. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That word dwell is important. Keep, keep a hold of that. Verse 9, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So the Lord is telling Moses, I am going to... Uh, give you the, a pattern. And he said, I'm going to show it to you. And where am I going to show it? Look down in verse number 22. 
He tells him, he's going he's gonna, to, uh, I want you to go up there in the mountain. But he said, and there I will meet with thee. And I want you to, I want you to make, uh, I'm sorry, got ahead of myself. He's speaking about not where he will meet with him on the mountain, but he's speaking of the tabernacle. He talks about that tabernacle and he says, look at verse 21, just for context. He says, thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark, thou shalt put the testimony. It's another word to get. Testimony that I shall give thee. And there... Where? Above the mercy seat, above upon the ark, there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony. Ark of the testimony, notice that? Of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So he is, he's teaching them that if you want to meet with me, you have to do it a certain way. Now, now that we're saved, we know it doesn't matter. We can just, we can say whatever. But, but, but think about this. As believers, we need to remember, we are not biologically saved. We are spiritually saved. You and I have a right to breathe oxygen because we're human beings. But as far as God's concerned, that old nature, that physical part of us is not, it's disposable. He's going to change it out. And so we got to keep in mind, it's not my right in the sense of my biological right to breathe air and drink water. It's not my right to just elbow my way into the throne of God. I've got to think about the privilege that it is. And you know how you, you think about privilege? It's by not having something. And then you realize what a privilege it is to have it. And so the Lord is saying, I'm going to take this special tabernacle and I'm going to make it in such a way that you can't just waltz in and get whatever you want. Now, listen, in Christ, we have access to God, but in Christ, not in me, not in my abilities and my, my personality. So it's going to be a really helpful study for us just quickly to go through this to see, remind us when we pray what we're doing. Go to chapter 29 of Exodus. So what we find is, so it's amazing that even though God is holy, he still wants to meet with us and not just meet. He wants to dwell among us. He wanted to dwell among the children of Israel. Uh, 29, 42, 42. It says, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door, at the door of the tabernacle of, a con of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you. To speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Flip over to chapter 30 and look down to verse 6. Chapter 30, verse 6. Then thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. Look at chapter 30, verse 36. Go down to verse 36. And thou shalt, he's speaking of, of, of what they're going to do with the altar events and so forth. How, thou shalt beat some of it very small and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. So God is showing man his gracious desire to meet with us. He wants to meet with us. People like, to, sometimes we, we get a poochie lip and we say, well, God doesn't care. God doesn't know. No, God does. He does know, and he does care, and he does want to meet with you. But remember, he's God, I'm not. 
You know what we want to say? We want to say, well, if I were God, no, you're not. And I, I think I know God. Well, we know what he says in the word, but there's a lot of stuff in there that we don't know. And so we have to be careful that we don't assign God characteristics that we would have if we were God. Aren't you glad that God doesn't let us do that? Can you imagine all of us, just us in this room, assigning God characteristics? You want to talk about uh, a a crazy-looking being. I don't know what that being would be like. Um, So that's number one. The the, The first thing is the purpose. The purpose is to meet Now, let us look at the prototype, the prototype of the tabernacle. What's the prototype? It's the first of its kind. It's the example. It's the rule that we're supposed to follow. The prototype of the tabernacle in heaven. So, the Bible tells us in, um, let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. So, Moses is commanded to build something, and what he is going to build was just a cheap replica of the grand reality of the tabernacle that was in heaven. Now, when we say cheap, I don't mean from a human standpoint, because there was a lot of gold in there, and, and there were some expensive uh, things that were, that were done and used. I'm not talking about mankind. I'm talking about God. As far as God's concerned, there's a big difference between the real thing and the earthly one. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. He says... Uh, speaking of Christ, a minister of the sanctuary, verse number 2, verse two eight, chapter 8, verse 2. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. I love that phrase, which the Lord pitched. You know the Lord likes camping, apparently. He's up there in heaven and he's pitching a tent. A tabernacle. It says, verse 3, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, whereof it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things. Who serves under the example and shadow? The ones on the earth do. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Okay, so as humans, we look at this thing as the opposite. We say the real tabernacle is the one that Moses built. The real temple is the one that Solomon built. Oh, and that's right. And, and if we even think about it, there was something like that up in heaven too. But it's actually the opposite of that. It's opposite. The one that you can't see is the real one. The one that you, can't, that you can see is the replica. Now, that's, that's actually a really important principle for us to remember as believers because that's the same way that a lot of Christians live their lives. They have it backwards. They say, this is the real thing. And heaven's like a pipe dream that maybe one of these days we'll get to. But it's actually the opposite. That is the real thing. This is the replica that's fake and it's wearing out. Can you feel it? Can you sense it? It is. And I put the reference there for you, 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. They're time-based. But the things which are not seen are eternal. They will never wear out. 
Okay, so there's an expiration on your milk, right? Why? It's temporal. You look at that, and, you, and some people live and die by that. It's very, very important that you, you know, I, I, somebody said something about sour cream, and I said, it comes as sour cream, right? And cheese, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. Now, I don't eat, you know, mold if I can avoid it, but uh, unless the doctor, you know, takes it and puts it in some kind of a tube and gives it to me as penicillin. But uh, other than that, it's just interesting how that we're concerned about this. Remember back in the day when you would rent videos and you had to get them back in time and you never did? And so you had late fees and late fees. That's how they survived. And, uh, and, 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 and now we think about oil, the oil change. Is it me or does it go down every year? It used to be, you know, 5,000 miles. Now, you know, 3,000 miles. Before you know it, it's like what you need to do is drive out of here and come back around. We'll change your oil. <laughs> safer that way. It's going to help your car last longer. You know, it's like, it's all about time, right? Kids can't wait to grow up. And we look back and say, remember the good old days. We're, we're stuck in time. Why? Because it is, it goes and it comes. It's moving. But the Lord says the things which are not seen are eternal, which means what? They stand in distinction to temporal. The things that we see, they come, they go, they wear out. But the things that we cannot see in heaven, they are eternal. They don't come and go. And it's a real blessing. As believers, that's how, by the way, that's the secret of Paul's victory in his life, was looking at the things which are not seen. Making his decisions, focusing, getting up in the morning, thinking about, I'm, I'm living for the, for the next world. And it's not that you can't enjoy this world. It, this world, everything that happens, anything good, is all gravy. Thank God for it. It's just not the main entree. It's not the meat and potatoes. Thank God for time we can have with family and Christmas and gifts and all that. But it's gravy. And listen, you can't survive very long on gravy. You got to have the meat. The real thing, the most important, is the eternal stuff. You know, you make sure you get gifts for your kids and make sure you get it for your spouse. Amen. But what about their spiritual walk? Make, make sure you're praying for them, too. Make sure you're, you're having time where you sit down and open the word together. Like, that's the meat and potatoes. And uh, so that's just one thing. We won't spend a lot, long time there. So the tabernacle is the one you can see with your physical, uh, that you could not see with your physical eyes. Moses built one here that you could see, but it was a, an earthly, it's just a replica. Number three, let's look at pictures of the tabernacle in the New Testament. So God told Moses how to build the tabernacle 25 to 28 there in Exodus. Exodus 25 to 28. And uh, everything in that was a foreshadowing of what God would do when he visited the planet in the person of Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He came here to tabernacle with us. What does the Bible say in John 1.14? The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Just like in Exodus God wanted to dwell with the people of Israel. It was his idea. And now he is sending Jesus Christ. And we find in Jesus Christ the fulfillment of the Old Testament tabernacle. Now look at your, uh, your sheet, and I want to show you uh, that picture. If you've got it up there, Andrew, thank you for that. So we have two things. The wilderness tabernacle, that's the place where man meets with God. And then you have Jesus Christ, who is the person where you meet with God. He is God in the flesh. You can see this. Uh, look at your notes. 
and look at the picture, whatever you want to do, back and forth. So we start, there's three places. There's the outer court. That's the whole big square rectangle. And then there is the holy place. And then there's the holy of holies, called also the holiest of all. Those three levels. And we're going to look at those three levels in conjunction with uh, several different things tonight. So first of all, as you're entering in the tabernacle from the east side, you're going to be, and, that, and that's the Lord likes to move east to west, apparently. And I've found some exceptions, but that's the, large, that's the large rule. East to west, the Lord likes to move that way. And here you see the brazen altar. The brazen altar, the very first thing, right at the entrance. And that is because... Jesus said, I am the door in John chapter 10. I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. And by the way, why would you ever go out once you go in? Well, just to get somebody else who's not in yet. That would be the only reason. And he said, if you go, if you are saved, you're going to go in and out. It's very very, uh, what a blessed promise. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, right? And we know from Revelation, he said he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So if you're going to approach God, the very first thing you understand is sacrifice. There's the altar, the very first thing. Next is the brazen altar. Brazen altar, you're, you're going to see, uh, the, I'm sorry, the brazen laver. We looked at the brazen altar already. The brazen laver, that's the next, a place of washing. Jesus said, I am the way, and then he said, I am the truth. I am the truth. He said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You need to be in the Bible, and in being the Bible will clean you up cleans up your mind. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so it starts with the brazen altar, then the brazen labor. That's all in the outer court. And then when you begin to move into the holy place, you see the table of showbread on your right-hand side. There's loaves of bread laid out six and six, which I think are a great example of the Word of God. You've got 66 books in the Bible, and he lays that out. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. The tabernacle that God was putting down on this earth was showing you how it works. Here's the thing. You can read the Bible all day long, but you can't understand the Bible if you haven't been saved. Now, I'm not saying you can't, you can't understand intellectually what he's saying. I'm saying you don't get it. You don't get the heart of God until you get saved. When you get saved, then you have an opportunity to understand, and not only understand, but have that become part of you. You can assimilate the Word of God. But notice, you've got to make sure you're cleaned up in your heart and mind. Because if you go in there and you say, well, I'm saved, I want to eat the bread. No, you have to pass by the brazen labor as well. Brazen labor is an important, important part of the function. So you might find this. If you, if you try to sit down and read your Bible just to get it over with, and your heart is dirty, your mind is filthy, it's not going to help you. You're not going to be able to assimilate it. 
Kind of like, you know, you can't come in this kitchen with those dirty feet. If you want to eat supper, you clean up, wash your hands, right? Change those dirty, filthy clothes, and then you can sit down and eat. It's kind of a picture. It's not talking about salvation in that sense. You're saved at the gate. You can't even get in before you get saved. But once you're in there, okay, now you can have. And see, here's the thing. All those things, no one knew that, per se, in the Old Testament. They didn't understand that, that we have that because of the, of the New Testament. We now see all of these things. Hebrews uh, comes way, 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 way past. So now we get it, but it, the Lord was teaching people little by little. And what were they responsible for? They were responsible for what God told them. God is a fair God. He, they're not responsible to know what's in Revelation. They're responsible for what God revealed to them in the Ten Commandments and through Moses. Then you have next is the candlestick. And did you notice all this? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the bread. And he also said, I am the life. I am the light of the world, a candlestick. Next is the altar of incense, the altar of incense. And uh, this is where Scripture talks about how this is the prayers of the saints, but this is where the priest would offer this as, an incense, as a good smell in the nostrils of God. And what we find is this, Jesus is actually the one who makes intercession for the saints. He's the one who intercedes for us on behalf of God. It's amazing that Jesus would not only save us, but then he would pray for us on a regular basis. Why? Because of the same reason that you and I need prayer. Man, we think about, I, I, I think about the prayer that I need, and then I think about people that I, 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 I'm burdened for, and I think, man, God, help them today. You know, that's a very Christ-like thing to do. Because that's exactly what Jesus does. Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Chapter 7, verse 25. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, after you, you go through those, that, those, the, the area, the, the holy place, now you enter into the holiest of all, the holy of holies. And there you find the Ark of the Covenant. Now, watch this. This is something that's uh, kind of interesting. You ever wonder why there was a crown of gold round about the Ark? Because this is representing the throne of God and the royalty of Christ himself. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the ark, actually, the Bible uses a couple different things, but this is not a study on the, on the ark, but uh, it's actually called uh, the chariot of the cherubims. It's a portable chariot on which God rides. And you see that in the book of Ezekiel, where you see God riding on the cherubims. This is a portable seat for God. It's called the mercy seat. Where God sits. This is amazing. By the way, no one ever saw God sit on the mercy seat. But that's where he sat. That's what he said. You know, when you, when you approach God, if you're focused on, Lord, I just want to see you, God, if you just show yourself now in the clouds, be careful of that kind of stuff. Because God is a spirit. 
And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You say, well, that's not fair. Why doesn't God show me something? God will show you more through your spirit than he will show you through your eyes. Why? Your spirit will never change or be hindered or handicapped in any way until you go to heaven. It's never going to change. You could lose your eyes. You could lose your hearing. You could lose a limb. But your spirit, the Bible says, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Your spirit can connect with God. In fact, that's the one that the, the Father seeketh such to worship him. They that worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? It doesn't mean just feelings. It means getting into the word of God, reading it, and saying, God, I believe what you said there. And acting and responding accordingly. He connects his word with his spirit. So you want to worship God in spirit and truth. You have to get interested in what he said. That's what spirit is. It's literally breath coming out of your mouth. Inspiration. It, 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 it's, it's the spirit of God who breathed this out. See, people say God breathed on this book. No, God breathed it out. It's the words of God himself. What are words? It's moisture coming out of your mouth. That's all it is. And that's what the word of God is. He has put it down and kept it for us in a book. And if you want to worship God in spirit, you have to get locked into words. Words. What he said. Well, I want to feel. Well, the feeling should maybe comes, maybe doesn't. A lot of times it does. But if you try to approach God through, I just want to get the right music on and get the candles and, and get all this stuff. Listen, that's nothing more than religious exercise. That's the kind of stuff that, that false religions have been doing since the dawn of, 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 of mankind. It's always been. Why? We want what we can feel and touch and taste and hear. That's what we want. But God says, I am going to remove you from this world. Why? I am going to take you out of it anyhow. Okay, so it, you're going to be here, but I want you to really get to know me, not through your five senses, but through your spirit. Okay, so how does that even work? Well, the Bible says he effectually worketh in you that believe. Believe. It all comes back to, are you going to let God be in charge? Are you going to believe what he said? And, and, and sometimes it's an act, it seems like it's an act of the will. Man, okay, we've got to stop and get me sidetracked here. Ark of the Covenant, and then we see on top of the ark the mercy seat, the place of peace with God. Romans 3.25 says, Jesus Christ is the propitiation, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Ephesians 2.14, for he is our peace. Amazing. Now, for the remainder of our time, I want you to take out this table. If you have this table on the back, and you can look back and forth up, up here on the picture, if you don't mind leaving it up there. Um, because I want you to be able to glance at it and have, not have to flip back and forth on the pages. I want you to be able to take this picture with you. But um, let's go through this quickly and let's see some things. Starting at the top left, the tabernacle, tabernacle furniture. First, we see the brazen altar, uh, which represents a, the place of salvation. And that's where we, as believers... Now, now, we've been looking at this as Christ. I should preface this by saying this table here is... is Looking at the tabernacle in the, in the, from the perspective of a believer, someone who is already saved, okay? 
Brazen altar, place of salvation. What do we do? Well, on a daily basis, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Right? That's where we first start out. Then we go to the brazen laver. Interesting thing about the brazen laver, it was made out of the mirrors that the women had from Egypt. Made out of those, melted down. <clears throat> and it tells us, it's a place of sanctification. What do we do? We separate from the world by daily cleansing of the word. And that is done by looking into the mirror, the glass of the word of God. The word glass is how we say mirror today. The Bible uses the term glass. It's a reflection. And so, literally, the cleansing of the Word of God is by looking at the mirror of God's Word, showing who you are. It's phenomenal. How does He know that about me? The passage isn't even talking about that. But you can hear the Spirit of God talking to you. Because it's the glass. And the Bible says we, we behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord. And when we do, we're changed into the same image. Right? So, you know, we look at the, at the glass and we say, I don't want to look like that. Typically, we say, we look at a glass. I don't know if you're like me. I don't look at the mirror much. But when I do, it's to change me into something else than what I look like in the mirror. Right? And typically, I've got some idea of what it is I'm trying to do. I'm trying to preserve the 50s with my hair or whatever it might be. All right? You know what's interesting about the Bible? It's a glass that you look into it to be more like what you see in the glass. Why? Here's the, here's the wild thought. It's actually Jesus Christ in you looking at himself. Christ is in you. And he is changing you to look more like himself. It's the glass of the Word of God. So you have to look at that on a regular basis. Now, you say, well, I, you know, I can never change. Well, well, you probably can't, but Jesus can change you. And you, if you're not changing, it's because you're not looking at Him. If you think you don't have to change, it's because you haven't been looking at Him. You've been looking at somebody else's depiction of Him. Some pastor or some preacher or some church, some schooling you've had that told you this is what Jesus looks like. So when you look at the Bible, you've got an idea in your mind of what he already is. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're not even seeing it. That's not who he is. Look at who he is, right? And let him look at himself and say, Lord, do I look like you? Does this look like do I, what I'm doing, what I'm wearing, what I, where I'm going? Is that what you would do? Right? It constantly adjusts us, and we're changed into the same image. It's a beautiful picture. Table of showbread is next. That's a place of fellowship. We walk in, and we feed on the Word of God. Notice that we're, we're getting cleansed before we feed. Just another th thought. And this is where the Word of God actually, again, is assimilated in. If you're reading the Bible to get it over with, you're doing it wrong. Then you have the candlestick. It's a place of testimony. We are personally here illuminated by the oil of the Holy Spirit. And so we can shine as lights in the world. Now, if you try to shine before you've got cleaned up, you're going to be a bad testimony. But if you get cleaned up and you're taking the word in, you're saying, Holy Spirit, live through me. I can't do it. Would you do it through me? then what's going to happen is the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is going to shine out of you. It's going to shine out of you. Well, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to talk to unsaved people. You know how to talk to unsaved people? Get in the word of God and get your heart cleaned up 
and let the Holy Spirit flow out of you. Just let him flow out of you. You won't have to worry about saying the right stuff. You get in love with Jesus, you get fired up. By the way, that's what he was excited about. He said, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. He must needs go through Samaria, even though on the map it was like way out of the way. But he said, I'm going to go through Samaria. Why? Because I want that person to know my love. So you yield to the Spirit of God, you'll have that same attitude uh, flowing through you. And then you have the altar of incense, place of intercession. We come to make supplication for ourselves and for others. As a priest, what a privilege it is. Then we have the Ark of the Covenant, and that's a place of surrender where we actually come into the presence of God. We are sheltered under the mercy seat, under his victory. We partake of his peace and of his victory and of his rest. Isn't that amazing? But, but I do want to, I want to mention this to you. We think about the presence of God. Sometimes it's like this. Like a, like a quick throw up a, a, a prayer out of the blue. Oh God, I need you to. And, and, and those are, aren't you glad God will hear you and will answer you on those prayers? I need you now, God. And it's interesting. It seems like God answers those prayer requests pretty often. I need you now. But could it be because it's just the grace and mercy of God and, and he knows we really mean it and we're really focused But you know, it was never God's intent for us to have nothing but these, help me God, help me. There is a, there's a little bit of a process to how you approach God. Do you see that? I'm not saying there's a process in how you become a child of God. But, but, but you say, well, I I think I can pray anytime, anywhere. Well, yeah, you can, but you got to remember who you're praying to. It is a privilege that we have, that we can actually come into the holiest of holies and talk with God. It's a privilege. So maybe, in, it, you, maybe you need to slot a little bit more time with God than, than, you know, just read your Bible and go. Slot some time and work through the tabernacle furniture. I mean, do, do you realize that this was God's idea of how to approach him? This was not like the beta version, like, I don't know what to say. I mean, maybe just throw some furniture in there and we'll work something up and I'll come later. It wasn't it. He was teaching people how to approach God. These things are important to God. They are representing spiritual realities in our lives, right? So there's a reason why maybe you're not getting your prayers answered, because that comes a little bit after some other things. See, the supplication that you have... That doesn't start. You don't wake up in the morning and just people will say, man, I don't, you know, I don't read the Bible much, but I pray all the time. You, you can't pick and choose what you want to do. The only way you know how to pray, by the way, is through the Bible. But, you know, some people, they don't pray. They're like, man, I read, I read the book. I read the book every month. Yeah, but what about praying? Do you pray? Jesus is praying right now for us. So you see how we want to pick and choose different things as a believer? This is why it's so important for us to recognize God wants us to come into his presence, but there are things that enable us to do so. If you want to know the presence of God, can you remember the last time you felt close to God? Close to God. I'm not talking about, you know, seeing a 900-foot Jesus. I'm talking about you knew of something supernatural. And you knew it because it made sense with stuff you'd read in the Bible. And it made sense with messages you'd heard preached. 
and how you've prayed and how you've heard other people pray. You see, there's not a bunch of different gods. There's only one God, and he acts in certain ways. And so as we learn those ways, we can approach God. Again, though, one of the most important things to understand about all of this is how you approach it. Your heart will determine. The Bible is different than any other book. Your heart determines what you get out of it. It's crazy. It's not just getting it in your head. It's your heart. Now, let's look at the next thing. I want you to see this as levels of spiritual growth. Uh, we won't take the time to turn there, but 1 John chapter 2, 12 and 13 have three levels, and some have made seven levels out of it. Maybe, maybe you can do that, but I see at least three. There's little children, and notice this is the outer court, the outer court. This is when somebody just gets saved, they know they're saved, and, uh, and they've, they've, they've trusted in that sacrifice of Jesus Christ for themselves. They know they're saved, and they often have a concern about sin. They're worried about sin. And that's a good place to be. Hey, where are they? They're trying to get close to God. They're, they're in the area. They're in the region. They're saved by the blood of the Lamb. But they're susceptible. They're susceptible to false doctrine. Why? Because they haven't assimilated a lot of the Word yet. So they're out in the outer court. They're saved, baptized. Man, they're fired up. And they're worried. Sometimes it'll be, uh, you'll hear people in this, this time frame, they'll talk about how they're worried about committing the unpardonable sin. They're worried if, whether they're really saved eternally. The Bible calls it eternal life. They're worried if they can lose it, right? Why? Because they're little children. They're insecure. They're vulnerable. The Lord wants to take them to the next level, which is the holy place. First John talks about young men. Young men. He said, I've written to young men because you're strong. He said, because you've overcome the wicked one. Here's somebody they've gotten into the word of God. They're actually learning the Bible now. And they have some victory over Satan. But there's a danger here because of pride. The Bible says, knowledge puffeth up. You know, when you start out, no, there's not a lot of proud kindergartners. They're, they're not arrogant, typically. They're pretty chill. They're relaxed. They're taking stuff in. They're just going around trying to learn how to write and everything. We're all friends. One cries. We all can pitch in, right? But you get into junior high and high school, it's a different story. Now we have very clearly delineated lines of who's important and who's not, right? It's the same thing in Christianity. You start out, you're just, you think everybody, man, it's awesome. This is great. I love this church. And then as you grow, you start finding out that some people know more than others. Some people actually are right with God and some are not, right? And it, it starts to become a danger. There's a, a susceptibility to pride, and then as you grow, you move into the next place, the holiest place, the holy of holies, and that's fathers. Here's people who know the God of the word, not just the word of God. They're not just studying doctrine to beat people up. They want to know God. They want to know what he's like. They want to know why he does what he does. But there's a danger here as well, because all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So you may think, man, I haven't had any problems at all. It could be because you're not really following and to, to know the God of the Word. I want you to think about the 12 disciples quickly. 12, you have 12 disciples. I put 11 because Judas was, you know, a devil. He was a devil from the beginning. But uh, they have a relationship with Christ, whereas when you move further in, Peter, James, and John actually had fellowship with Christ. They got to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Uh, they were there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so they got closer to the Lord. Then you have even further in, you have the John the Beloved, the Apostle John, who everybody else said when the Lord said, one of you is going to betray me, everybody said, Lord, uh, is it I? But the Apostle John said, who is it? Who is it? There was one thing John knew, it's not me. I'm not going to forsake the Lord. He knew it from his heart. He was the only disciple at the cross, at the cross where Jesus said to Mary, Woman, behold thy son. He said to him, Son, he said, Behold thy mother. It's a beautiful picture where he actually experienced, experienced intimacy with Christ. And, and, and this is what I want to say about this. This is not about who's better in the eyes of other people. You know, one of the, the bane, and by the way, you know that you're in the young man's stage if you're constantly gauging yourself by other people. I'm not talking about age-wise. I'm talking about spiritually. Spiritually. If you're constantly comparing yourself with other people, you're a young man spiritually. You need, you need to grow up. What? You need to be more interested in knowing God than you are in being better than other believers. Well, my kids behave better. Well, we have a nicer house. Well, we, are, we, 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 we give out more tracts. That's the, that's the mark of a young man. Hey, thank God that your kids behave and that you have a nice house and that you pass out tracts. But why do you do it? If you're doing it to be better than someone else, you're still kind of a teenager spiritually. And thank God you've moved past just the stage of slobbering everywhere. But you've got to keep going in. Not going in so that you could then say, I'm a mature, more mature believer. No, because when you leave that young man stage, it's not because you want to get out of the rest of this bunch of rabble. I don't want to hang out with these loser Christians anymore. No. You say the things of this earth grow strangely dim and you, you want to be near Jesus. You want to follow him. And then look at the Great Commission. Uh, in the Great Commission, there's several things. He said, teach all nations. And that's where people get saved and get baptized. Teach all nations, right? And then he said, teaching them to observe all things. What's that? Okay, that's not just someone that's attending church. That's someone who's involved, someone who's in the word, someone who's growing in obedience. They, they want to get locked in. By the way, you're here tonight. That's a great example of being involved. At the end of the day, I, I kind of wonder, why do we keep doing stuff at church that nobody wants to do? Just stop doing it. That's the, that's the way I look at it. But I'm glad you're here tonight because you want to be involved. What does that mean? I, you could be somewhere else. You could be playing pickleball tonight. You could go shopping. You could go and get coffee for the hundredth time today. Right? Is it, what is it with coffee? You drink it and you're like, I, I could really use some coffee. Like, no, you just had coffee. Right? But you're here tonight. Why? You want to invest in your walk with the Lord. But I want you to see there's a third thing. Because you want to think about this often with the, with the Great Commission. He said, teaching them to observe. But you know what he started with? Go ye therefore. Who's the ones that are going and bringing these people to salvation and teaching them how to be baptized and to follow the Lord? You see, there's another group that says, we're going to sell out everything. We're leaving behind all the stuff. It's not about me hoping I can get to church when I can get there. I want to be one who is helping other people come to know the Lord. And that's where, that's by the way, the people that helped us were those kind of people. The, the ones that helped us come to Christ. 
Look at this through two other lenses. One through the relationship with other believers. Did you notice that? Talked a little bit about it. Typically, with, with, when you're talking about believers who are in the outer court, it's mercy without truth. Again, church is the most wonderful place in the world. Man, I love it. Can't, I can't wait to get there. People are so nice. How many of you have heard someone say, I thought they were angels when I went to church? <laughs> yeah, fallen angels, right? But, but why? You're a young, per, you're a young believer. You, you don't have any judgment. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's wrong to judge because, because Jesus said, judge not, right? This is the kind of language that you use. And you have relationships, but they're superficial relationships. You know, your conversations tend to be about sports and about, uh, you know, culture and fashion and all that kind of stuff. And, it, you know, what's wrong with that? Nothing. But you can't build a Christian life on those things. And you can't, and you can't build any great Christian relationships on those things. You, you've got to get deeper than that, right? And so you move into the next phase as you grow, and this is in the holy place. Notice, all of these are moving through. And, 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 and a lot of this is, is supposition and some, just some insight and wisdom that's been gleaned over the years from others. And, and some of my own thoughts is in this. I'm not saying this is definite Bible all along the way, but I think you understand this is kind of teaching in righteousness. This is somewhat uh, of an application here. As you grow older and you get into that more youth, young man, teenage, spiritual realm, it's truth without mercy. You know what? I used to be such an idiot. I thought everybody was great. But I found out there's hardly anybody that really loves God. I mean, you hear people say, hardly nobody prays anymore. That's a pretty big statement. <laughs> nope, nobody even wins souls. We're in Laodicea, brother. This is the young man stage. And by the way, you have to go through this stage at some point. Why? Because you're trying to find out your balance. When you learn to drive a car, if all you did was, I only turn right, I only turn right, you're going to crash. At some point, you have to turn left. And you know, when you were a kid, you watched people drive, and I remember thinking, that's how you drive. <laughs> you better not do that, right? What are you doing? You're adjusting to the road. And you realize that as you get older, especially when you have cars like mine that are not aligned that's not a good a use of God's money to align your car. You got a steering wheel. I'm just kidding. But, but you realize as, as you get older, you turn one and you, you kind of jerk back. And what you find here is a lot of jerking in the opposite direction in this phase. Okay, so before you, you didn't have any discernment, but now you, you, you have a critical spirit. You have a critical spirit, which is constantly looking for other people that are not quite doing the right thing. And what's the right thing? You're not going to believe this, but I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> it's a gift. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it, and I'm willing to be that one. I do right. A lot of other people don't do right. Have you noticed that? They don't have the heart for God. Right? And again, it's a phase you have to go through. Why? Because if you don't, you end up in, you stay in that first phase, which is mercy without truth. You don't have a problem with people preaching false doctrine. You don't have a problem with people sleeping around as Christians. We all have to start somewhere. You don't have a problem with people getting drunk because you know what? We're all just sinners saved by grace. And you, hey, as a new believer, no problem. No problem. Listen, you've got to have that understanding. You know why? You've just been dunked under the mercy and grace of God. 
And you know you're going to heaven not because of what you did. And as far as you're concerned, it's all good. Man, this is awesome. This is wonderful. Listen, you can't have a whole church full of people like that. All right? But you better have some. I mean, you got to have some. Why? Because if you don't, who wants to run a church full of spiritual teenagers? Who wants to be in a church full of spiritual teenagers? Not me. I can tell you that. Why? Teenagers can be harsh. It's not that they're wrong. It's that they don't have any balance of love in there. So they look at mom and they say, mom, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this. It's not that they're wrong. It's that it's just unkind and it doesn't take a lot of other things into consideration. Right? Then you grow. And now you have truth with love. He said speaking the truth in love. And this is where you begin to minister to other people. This is, this is where you have accountability friendships, not just friendships about what kind of clothes you like and what kind of food you like. Like you want to follow God and you want to be around other people who want to follow God. This, this is another level. You want to talk about God. What does it say in mercy, uh, Psalm 85.10? Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Finally, this balance, this is where, and you can kind of tell, believers, as you go this, uh, through this and look at this, gauge yourself. You know what, something else is interesting about this. This could actually be what a church is like as well, not just an individual believer. Where do you think Hope Baptist is? It's a real, it's a, it's a, it's a serious question to ask, kind of sobering. Where do you think we are? One more is the relationship with the lost. And very quickly, that's zeal without knowledge. You start out, you're witnessing to everything, including every tree, tree you go by. You know, there's a cigar store Indian outside the front. You want to witness to him, get, just give him a tract, you know. And then you go home to Thanksgiving and, you, you know, you're like, I'm sorry, you're going to hell. and split hell wide open, Uncle Harold. I'm sorry. I know you don't care. You don't have to go to hell. Jesus loves you. But I, you know, I, I just want to tell you, you're going like hell is mentioned a lot. Right. And, and, and it's important. But but what happens sometimes you burn bridges with people and, and now you don't talk with them. So, you know, the best thing to do is to go to the next phase, which is knowledge without zeal. So now you don't even witness. Now, you know all about it. You've read five books on how to how to see people saved. And you've read the you know, Romans Road and the Isaiah Interstate and, you know, all, all the different places. And, and you get it. You, ha- you But you just don't witness. Why? You have no zeal. You've got plenty of gas in the tank. But your starter doesn't work. Let me ask you a question. Which of those do you think God would prefer? If you had to choose, I think God would prefer zeal without knowledge rather than knowledge without zeal. But the, uh, the, the wonderful thing is this. You don't have to choose between those two. The Lord wants to take you to the next level, which is zeal with knowledge. Zeal with knowledge. This is the holy place. You see, we talk about being like Jesus. You can't be like Jesus when it comes to the lost until you start somewhere. You can't just jump into that. It's going to take some time and a process of learning. You know the reason why you don't know how to win souls is because you won't try. Because you're afraid of making a mistake. So you've got to get out there and have some zeal. Maybe you don't know everything. All right? And then at some point you're going to get more knowledge. But be careful because that's going to tamp down your zeal. And you're going to start thinking everybody's thoughts for them. You know, people win people to Christ because they're just dumb enough to believe people need to be saved. How stupid is that? 
We know now people don't want to get saved. It's Laodicea. It's dark as can be. God doesn't save people anymore. When will you get that through your thick skull? Man, you can't have a church full of people like that. We'd be in big trouble. And Christian, if that's where you are, you need to grow up. Why? The whole purpose of the tabernacle was not to say, wow, look at the make of this thing. Well, where they got, didn't get this from Amazon. Boy, that's nice, man. Look at that altar. Look at the laver. Whew, you can clean all kinds of stuff with that. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to get to God, to the presence of God. The Lord said, you got to go through these things to be in my presence. So believer, before you think, well, I just want to spend time with God, don't forget, there is a little bit of a protocol, a process. Continue to think up through these things, and I hope the Holy Spirit will give you some, some insight, some wisdom as you think. Because, you know, it's so easy for us to think, well, I want to know the Lord, but I just, I mean, I don't worry with all that stuff. I just simply, if you're simpler than the Bible, you're too simple. The Lord put the whole tabernacle together to teach his people how to get close, how to be in his presence. So take this, believer, and put it into your time with the Lord. Meditate on this. Think about it. Where is an area that you're not, you haven't thought about? What is the, the, the furniture that doesn't really figure in your mind? You say, well, I don't know what it all means. Man, there's so much you can never learn it all. But you can use this thing maybe as a starting point. Go back and look at the scripture and say, Lord, teach me. Because I want to be close. It's a couple of times when the tabernacle opens. The tabernacle of the temple opens. We know that the veil was rent from top to bottom. And that's when the Lord said, hey, whosoever will may come. But then this, when this temple opens up in Revelation 15, up in heaven, it's for a different reason. The wrath of God is going to be pouring out. You and I have a privilege of going directly in and seeing God himself in the spirit and fellowshipping with him. Let's take a look at our prayer list tonight.